Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Environmental Social Justice Live in 2023. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And welcome, Jessica Aldridge. You are the Director of Sustainability and Zero Waste for Athens Services. Welcome to the show, Jess. Uh, it's great to be here. I, this is a wonderful way to, to uh, honor 2023, talking about trash. I'm, I'm down for it. <laughs> We are definitely talking trash today. Athens Services is an environmental waste recycling hauler. And also, Jessica, could you explain what your role is within Athens? Yeah, so just a little on Athens first. We are a local family-owned uh, environmental service company that focuses on recycling and waste diversion and collection. Uh, that's been a reputable fixture in Southern California since 1957. And we are the largest solid waste hauling company in the greater Los Angeles area. And I say waste hauling, those are the waste trucks that come out and are picking up your trash and throwing it into the back of the, the big truck and then taking it somewhere that's going to be processed. And, you know, we just, we want to help our customers divert those valuable resources uh, through focusing on the, not only the collection and processing service uh, services that we provide, but also the outreach and education. And um, for myself, uh, I am the director of sustainability and zero waste programs. And in addition to supporting our sustainability efforts at the company, I also get the opportunity to create outreach and education based programs and communications with this intent to inspire action to and to reduce waste, but not only just on the downstream. We're not just a company that comes and picks up your trash and makes it disappear and it goes into the land far away and hopefully it becomes something, you know, but uh, we're, we're looking at this holistically, you know, how can we help to reduce waste and protect the environment and human health up that chain as well, looking at what we call the upstream, you know, what manufacturers are doing, what businesses are doing. And I just, I get aware um, multiple hats in our company and not only, you know, help the the interest of multiple departments in Athens and figure out what they need by being this educational conduit. But then I get to work directly with the community as well and figure out, well, what is it that you need? What what are the communication styles that you need? What is it that you need me to tell you? What is it that you're confused about? What, how can we help? Oh, absolutely. And you, you actually do a lot. Um, you've been on a panel of mine in, uh, recently. But mm -hmm. one of the things to talk about um, just to let people know, when we say divert waste, that means recycle it. So not putting it in landfills, diverting it away from landfills. But also, um, there's been some bad press about recycling not really happening. And that's not true. Could you please tell people that you guys are actually doing everything possible to get things out of landfills? Yes. Uh, short answer, yes. Recycling is happening at Athens Services. We're working every single day to separate the recyclables, bail those recyclables, and then get them off to where they can actually be recycled and into new products. And, but, but really is everything being recycled? No. And that's, that's been sort of this misnomer that has been taught to the general community for years across this country, across the United States, across the world. And, you know, we're, we're made to believe as the general public, right? That, recycling, putting this stuff into the, the blue container, if people have a blue container for the recycling, is this universal feel-good action that, um, that we can take. And when that is 
when that curtain is pulled away from us, people get upset. Um, most of the questions that I get from people is, is this product that I have in front of me recyclable or compostable? Uh, it's the tangible. And, and, and when it's not, they want to know why not, you know, and since the 1980s and, and this, the founding of keep America beautiful, that was, you know, kind of forced on the product, uh, community, the, the, the product manufacturers uh, to say, hey, you've got all this product, you're not doing anything with it, you better have some solutions. And this message was sold to us that we as the consumer are the problem and we're the solution. That, that if we just put this in the recycling container, something magically is going to happen to it and we've done right by the environment. And when, you know, it, it sows discourse around recycling when people are told that that system is not working and but when we, yeah it's all on us when when it's it's not all on us we're, we need to put it in the right container we need to help the system but the materials that we're getting actually need to be able to be processed i mean we look around us um my my blur out's not working so you can see all of my my many things but we have you know, this thing, our desk, our computer, uh, speakers, whatever it might be, all the product around us is, it, it doesn't mean that it can be recycled. Much of it is mixed material. It's got chemicals in it. It's not an item that is viable for recycling. A lot of the material that's being recycled are your containers, um, you know, for your food, your beverage, be it plastic or glass, it's paper, it's cardboard, it's things sort of that you use more so on a daily basis. And so we see that there's this influx of material that's not moving in the system because it's just not designed to be able to move within the recycling system. Uh, there was uh, one thing I just want to say uh, ending that is, you know, that there's this Harvard Business Review that says consumers feel more comfortable using a larger amount of resources when they believe that that thing they're using will has recycling as an option. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we've been we've been taught that. Um, but I wanted to go. So one just message taken away. It has to start upstream, meaning the manufacturers yeah. making the stuff need to be better at it. We cannot put all the pressure on the person. But one thing that Joel mentioned earlier um, when we were off camera, Joel, could you ask the question about the car um, car manufacturing and using plastics? Yeah, so I've been, I mean, I know that this the big push right now for like all the, all the like green stuff. I know, right? Sorry, it's early. Um, manufacturers, obviously there's the big push for EV. There's the big push toward, towards sustainability. But I know a lot of car manufacturers or automobile manufacturers are starting to use recycled materials within the car, yeah. whether it be from the upholstery to the carpeting to the dashboards, not necessarily for the actual components, but the interiors of the car. Are you going to see, do you think that that's going to be one of the next big waves that we're going to see? As I far think so. as, yeah. I think we have to because we can't keep supporting a recycling system and not close the loop. We can't say, hey, keep recycling that material but then manufacturers not buy that material back to actually put into their product. And uh, with recent legislation, we're going to be seeing uh, manufacturers, at least in the state of California, have to make sure that the material that, you know, for single use disposables, but for other stuff eventually that, you know, that the product can actually be recycled or composted, that the products that they are manufacturing have recycled content in them. And I, you know, 
when we start to use more recycled content in product as well, it brings the price point down of that commodity. So if it's if it's cheaper to put virgin plastic in you know, virgin oil based plastic in your product, you're not incentivized to use recycled content. It's about yeah. the dollar. Always yeah. is. Mm -hmm. it always is. Um, I'm sorry, Joel. Go ahead. I oh, know I had a question and I and I just went blank. <laughs> it happens. I almost did the work there. It's not there. He's gonna be like you almost went. <laughs> yeah, I almost. That's did where it we have Joel. He's he's the comic really. Quick. Um, talking about virgin materials should not be cheaper. One of the things you and I talked about were um beverage containers, food containers with that plastic lining to make it waterproof. And how damaging that is, because you had mentioned something about fats and heat, and it actually leaches out that material. Oh, that's oh yeah. <laughs> Did you say that's not good? Did I hear that? <laughs> no, it's really not good. Um, so, yeah. So there's different chemicals that are used in plastics. There's thousands and thousands of chemicals. And uh, there could be phthalates like BPA. There could be... PFOS, uh, fluorinated substances, which is now found in everybody's blood across the world. Uh, and in the water industry, I'm definitely experiencing how to keep PFOS out of our water system even. So that's yeah. like a major, major problem. Good luck it's a that. huge problem. We won't get into the problems of PFOS right now. But, uh, go watch Dark Waters uh, with Mark Ruffalo. I, uh, but so one of the things that's happening with plastics is this microplastics issue, and you're you're seeing it in like you were saying, Wendy, uh, products that um, if they get hot or if it's a fatty substance that's inside of plastic. So I'm not a scientist, but I will share some knowledge that a scientist shared with me on on um, my podcast, Eco Justice Radio. Uh, his name is Dr. Scott Coffin. I uh, what uh, he so we did this whole show called uh, microplastics are everywhere. It was a very uplifting show. And uh, <laughs> so we were talking about plastic fragments. Right. And, and those are these um, it's these plastic sheds, these fibers that are smaller than a strand of human hair. Most of the time we're unaware of it. We're unaware when it happens. We can't see it. One of the examples that he shared uh to lighten your day this morning is that when you take a plastic cap off of a bottle and it when you when you twist it off of the bottle it releases thousands of plastic particles every single time you twist that plastic cap this is happening with our clothes with the roads with artificial turf with food packaging with tea bags with hot cups from you know the disposable hot cups that we're getting um, our coffee in when we go to a coffee coffee shop any plastic that comes in contact with friction or hot liquid or hot food can shed plastic fragments um, and then it also likes like I said it likes fatty food and acidic food. And um, the biggest entry point for the human body for microplastics is actually not even the water, which is an entry point. Food's an entry point, seafood's an entry point, food packaging is an entry point, but the biggest entry point is the air that we breathe. Oh, and <laughs> Let's all take a deep breath to that. <laughs> in the morning. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm just the life of parties when I go. <laughs> so, so there's the stat on that. Um, one one to ten percent of the dust in the air is plastic. So when you're looking up at the light and it's doing that, like sh like it looks like fairy dust, some of that's plastic. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That, that's just wonderful. You've ruined my entire life just with that. <laughs> and then we wonder why we're so sick, right? Or when people have Asthma. lung cancer that never smoked or, you know, body parts start, you know, failing us. And, you know, it, I'm not even a medical doctor, but you should look no further as to, you know, our environment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and tires too. I, I just recently learned about microplastics from tires, from tire wear. Did not know that. That's yeah, it is. Um, it's, and, and they don't, there's not, there are studies on the human health impacts. They're few and far between right now because they were studying more so on the environment, what's happening up in the Bay and in San Francisco, what's happening in the oceans. And so you're going to start to see more human health impact studies uh, to show, you know, where it's, it's proven that it's within us, but like, what is the actual mm. medical um, issues or what are the medical issues that are actually, what does yeah. it cause it? I mean, they found I mean, it in breast milk, 26 out of 34 samples, they found it in breast milk, but what, what is it causing? We don't totally know at this point. Well, that's a long-term exposure study that we won't know for probably 20, yeah. 30 years, the full impact. And also going back to um, where it's all found, um, a few years ago, Boston University wrote a paper that it was found in seaweed of which fish were eating, and that's how mm -hmm. they were ingesting it. So it wasn't necessarily coming from the water or from their own environment, but for the food they ate. So it is everywhere. It's a real yeah. fact. I want to circle back to the zero waste upstream. I know we are super fun today, folks. Um, <laughs> going back to zero waste and upstream and that it's not, it, it cannot be 100% on the individual to be responsible for mm -hmm. this. We have to start looking at our manufacturers and how they're making things. But when you said, this is this is an interesting statistic. There is, um, for every one ton of downstream waste, you said there's 70 tons of upstream waste. Yeah. Could you explain in a very simple way what that means so people understand? That the little jar of zero waste trash that has become popularized on Instagram is completely impossible. Yeah because we don't think about for so every ton uh the, the the statistic says for every ton of waste or pound of waste or however you want to put it for every one there's 70 up, upstream from uh whatever resources have been utilized in order to make that product so there's yeah. a lot of waste happening that you don't even see so we're the downstream so when i use this um and say this Please don't break, but say this breaks. <laughs> um, I like this cup. Uh, that you know, when I have to when I have to throw this away and it can't be utilized again, this isn't the only thing that got wasted in in the, yeah. the tossing of this product. And so it's this concept, you know, is can everything fit into a jar? Am I creating zero waste? Well, you know, you're limiting your waste on the downstream, but that's not the entire picture. That's not the entire picture of, of, of zero waste. Yeah. Um, and I can I can go into the definition of what I feel zero waste is. No, seriously, people need to people need to understand what this all means because we're we're throwing around terminology and we're accept we're expecting people to understand and they just don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
zero waste itself, the 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 words zero waste is um, is confusing and it's convoluted. Uh, on social media, it's been popularized, but then at the same time, there's sometimes a negative attached to that because it seems to be like in many circles, it can be a very privileged action. Um, it seems sometimes to be very single focused as we were talking about, uh, as this is what I throw away, this is what I buy, this sort of switch out mentality, that if I switch out this product for this product, I'll create less waste. If I buy this instead of this, I'll create less waste. And this can be very off-putting um, for people that are actually, you know, that, that are actually already practicing zero waste. They're just not calling it that. I mean, zero waste is indigenous by nature. It's yeah. practiced, practiced by our ancestors not so long ago. Many communities practice zero waste, ta zero waste tactics out of necessity, right? Yeah. Um, and this, this term of zero waste, the actual words zero waste, uh, when it was used for cities and um, industry practices, this, this didn't start on social media. It, it started in, in the 80s, it got its legs in the 90s, and in the 2000s, there was a, and I hope you can still hear me of the helicopters going over right now, but uh, it, it got its, its first international peer-reviewed definition in, in 2004. Okay. It's not solely meant to ensure that the waste that you create downstream doesn't go to a landfill. The, the definition, the, the, the peer-reviewed definition is that it's the conservation of all resources by the means of responsible production. So how it's produced, uh, how it's you know extracted to consumption, reuse, and re recovery of everything, of, of products, packaging, and materials yeah. without burning and with no discharge to land, water, or air that threaten the environment or human health. It is incredibly holistic. It's looking at the, if this, if to get this cup in my hand, if I throw this in the landfill once, um, let's say, no, let's say it breaks and I turn it into a mosaic. You know, I'm able to like become really artistic and end up making some beautiful thing out of it, right? Uh, but if this caused a lot of human health and environmental destruction before it ever even got to me, yeah. Uh, to be able to be utilized, then by definition, within that process, it is not zero waste. Exactly. Um, zero, you know, zero waste does not mean something that can fit into a jar. Access, protection, recognition, equity, environmental and social justice do not fit into a jar. Exactly. Because what people don't realize, so let's start, let's do the mug. Clay, mined by people probably not getting paid very well with diesel engines they're digging it out being processed somewhere being transported somewhere being made somewhere being killed somewhere killing takes heat takes energy then transported again to the store and then taken by you home so there's a lot that goes into that final product and people don't seem to think that far back because why would you if it's not at the forefront of your mind why would you um, and then there's that, like then this is probably some sort of ink this oh, could yeah. be oil so the oil that goes into it as well, the energy consumption, you know, all of it. All, all the ink, yeah. Okay, so again, every time you get in, in involved with any project, whether it's a cup or it's it's a cost analysis, right? It's, it's yeah. and and a lot of people are just doing the very, very best they can, just trying to yes. cope. We're spending a lot of money with press conferences, with you know, mayors and governors and everyone else talking about zero waste 
but really not giving anybody the tools. Like that money could be used yep. to actually, um, you know, more so educate or just get it done, just do it, um, as opposed to people pontificating and talking about it. One of the things that I admire so much about Athens, I've been in the in community work, work for the legislature, uh, now director of water for South Los Angeles. Uh, but one of the things I really, really appreciate about Athens, any city or municipality, when they have something like a Kingdom Day parade or a community event, you can call your Athens rep right up. They'll have trash dispensaries available, say Athens right on them. I, I think that's like the best advertising that you can have. People can just throw their trash uh, right in the dispenser at the event. Um and it's kind of just like, it's not even advertising for Athens. It's just that everyone knows, you know, Athens name. You're doing the best you can to create and enlarge parade-like situations, decrease mm -hmm. the amount of uh, trash that's splattered, that's going into our rain gutters. It's like that kind of action, if we could get it at a government level, instead of just talking or pontificating, just having those kind of bins available or having a table at event where, you know, you're not preaching at people, you're just saying, hey, we're your local trash service. You know, here are a couple of items or some literature. We need to start getting the message out there to the everyday man in yep. those type of ways. And, you know, just kind of like kudos as somebody who kind of sees it from, you know, the background and, and hears about net zero waste and, you know, 2035 and 2040, all of these dollars we're spending um, just talking about it. You know, if, if more companies were just more about it and doing less preaching, as I'm doing right now, <laughs> I think we would, you, you know, we'd actually get somewhere. So off my soapbox now, but. No, you're right. You're right. Everything you said is right. Joel, yeah, you're I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Okay, so I do have a question for you. So I'm gonna get back to the whole recycling thing. So obviously plastics, we know they have a certain amount of time that they can be recycled. I think we're all kind of, on the, let's get that base level out there right now. Oh yeah, some of them, if, if they are recyclable, can only be recycled once. And so that's a form of downcycling. So what did it, what would it take in order to for us to go, I mean, you used to get your milk in a glass bottle. I mean, you used to get sodas in a glass bottle. And I understand that there's obviously the profit margins that come for the corporation. They can make more money by using plastic because it's cheaper. You know, but it's gotten to the point now where our lettuce is wrapped in plastic. Our potatoes are wrapped in plastic. You go buy fruit, which, you know, got peeled and then wrapped in plastic. It's like, at what point in time do you see that there could be a cultural shift to just say, cut the crap and let's actually go back to using, you know, whether things are per packaged in aluminum or glass that actually can be repurposed and recycled numerous yeah. times. Do yep. you, I mean, is that one of the conversations you have when you're doing outreach to communities to just say, hey, look at what you're actually purchasing and think yeah. about it. And so I know it's a funny thing, and I get that for people. I totally get that. There's you know? there's multiple um, elements to it. So, you know, looking at from the manufacturing standpoint, um, you know, there, there are reasons why some product is packaged the, the way it is in order for to preserve that product to have a, a longer lifespan on the shelf um, certain types of uh, product might that that might be more recyclable isn't viable for that 
longevity of that product. So the manufacturers in this in this area are, you know, the, the, the fire is lit under them to be able to find what are the most appropriate products to be able to keep being able to sell their, if we're just focusing on food, uh, to be able to sell their food, keep it, um, you know, sustained long enough so that we don't have a food waste issue. And what does that look like? And they need to, you know, turn back around and then work directly. And, and they are now, but for a long time, manufacturers a product sometimes are working in their silos where they're like, hey, we found that this is recyclable or hey, we found this is compostable. And then the product comes to the downstream and then we look at it and go, right, we can't, someone told you that and it might be somewhere, it might be certified compostable, but that doesn't actually mean it's compostable within the, the, the current system that we have because the system does not legally able to take certain type of compostable items. So yep. there's that, there's the manufacturing side of it. And then there is um, what's happening also at the legislative level. So with SB Senate Bill 54, you know, the, part of that legislation is to reduce, to increase plastics recycling, but also to reduce plastics because you can't increase something. It, it's a weird way. Like the material coming in the system is not magically going to be able to be recycled. So we actually have to reduce the amount that's coming into the system in order to actually increase our diversion and uh, to increase the actual recyclability, uh, the recyclable numbers of it. And so with SB 54, it's pushing that we are supposed to have refill and reuse models across the state to be implemented. So that I would assume is going to be happening at the grocer level. Uh, a, a significant portion of that reduction is supposed to come not only from reducing just the amount of the product that's in the system, but for implementing uh, refill and um, bulk situations in, in essence. Um, and I think there was another one I was gonna hold. Oh, for Athens, for our education, yeah, we are trying to, we have a very small sustainability department. We have a very mighty marketing and communications team that we work together very strongly with each other. And we try to get out as much educational material as possible, not just about how to sort your recyclables, but also how to push that equation upstream. So we yeah. just released a four, I said just, it was about a year and a half ago, but <laughs> we have a uh, 400 guide item. We gave birth to this very really cool baby that is a online searchable database that we partnered with um a recyclist uh to create 400 guide items you go onto the thing you pick the city that you're in uh if it's serviced by athens services and you put in the item so you know you put in i'm like lotion bottle i'm like looking over here ceramic cup and it will tell you how not only what container you can put that in, it will give you other opportunities on how to manage that material. So we have a whole page dedicated to reuse that um, we give people multiple different ways of how to potentially reuse or donate or repurpose or refurbish or repair their products before they ever even decide to throw it away. We try to be as transparent as possible with how we're managing material, if it's actually truly recyclable or not. What was that, Joel? I know you had a question. Well, no, it's funny because you bring this up because this was what I wanted to bring up, is that we've become so used to just throwing things away as opposed to really looking at the quality of the products that we purchase. And again, mm -hmm. it comes down to money. 
because you know a quality product that's going to last a long time will cost you more. It just does. There's no way around it. But we've gotten so disposable. So I think that also brings us back to you know the amount of plastic mm-hmm. that we have. We don't have to take care of things. We just buy it. Okay, it's gone. Next one, we can just replace it. Whether it's clothing, whether it's you know food items, whether it's our storage containers, we're so used to just a disposable society. So I yeah. think that's yeah. kind of an interesting thing that you're doing is telling people how to reuse and recycle. Not that we need any more Etsy shops, but more power to <laughs> can do it. Um, but you know. It, but I think that's actually a really important thing for people to focus on is not just throwing things away, but what can you do with it? Maybe somebody else can use it, you know, a mm-hmm. lot. Of no, there are plenty of organizations that do that. But Joel, I wanted to add to when you questioned about um, why are we not using glass? And a, another oh, yeah. obstacle is glass breaks. So there's the breakage factor and it's heavier to transport, which takes more energy when you have to haul something heavier. So again, it's money you know, it's how much things are going to cost. But those are two more obstacles that people have to learn to figure out. And I like the idea of the refilling at, you know, bulk groceries to address that, because that can work. I would actually, sorry, I have to push back for like one second. I get the whole thing about it costing more to transport. But when we're looking at corporations with record profits right now, it doesn't go that far. Um, At least not for me. Sorry. Yeah, I know it doesn't, but that's what they're going to look at. And well, that, that's the local localized systems, right? Instead of, you know, create, you know, getting our our milk products from locations that might have a, a larger greenhouse gas impact due to their transportation, because they're however many states away, you know, is there the opportunity for localized uh situations and and not for all product there's not going to be but you know the reason why the the milkman was able to come to your door and deliver the milk wasn't because he was getting his milk from minnesota you know like he was it was local and so it was able to be delivered and we've we've actually gotten rid of a lot of our farms which is something else we need to address but i don't want to take up too much of your time because we're hitting that 30 minute mark but um two things to leave people on with everything we talked about because there was a ton of information that jessica gave us is um, overall buy less, consume less. Just buying something isn't going to make you happy. And as Joel brought out this fast fashion thing and buying more stuff and being disposable, if we can just leave you with one thing in your mind is there is no away. A landfill or throwing things in the garbage doesn't mean it's away. It's just put somewhere else that you don't see. And that is the problem we're facing today. So Jessica, thank you so much for coming. Um, Is there any closing words you want to leave talking about Athens and the work that you guys do? The one thing I just want to say is right now, everybody has the opportunity to start participating fully in organics recycling. Um, Almost every single city has implemented a program. If it hasn't, it's coming where you can put your food scraps into your organics green bin to be able to be composted or turned into energy. If you have backyard composting, if you want to, the solution to improving our recycling systems, the biggest impact that an individual can actually have on the personal level is to participate in organics recycling and making sure that you're putting the food scraps. If you can't do it at home in your backyard, everything. I mean, that's meat, that's cheese, that's bones. You can put that material into your green container if your city started it so far. It's coming if they haven't. But that is one of the biggest impacts that you can make. The the third largest source of human-related methane emissions uh, that are related, human related, I did say that, human related methane emissions, the third largest source, 20% of our methane emissions is coming from the decomposition of organics in a landfill. Yeah. So if you really want that big impact, it's not, it, it, yes, 
Look at the product you're buying. Make sure that it's recyclable. Make sure that it's made out of recycled content. But that biggest impact you can have on the recycling system is to participate in organics and, and recycling and putting those food scraps in your green container. Absolutely. Um, definitely benefits with that. So thank you so much. We have Jessica from Athens, uh, Athens Services. So guys, please recycle, do what you can, think upstream, think about what you buy, buy less, really don't need as much as you think you do. I'm Wendy Nyston with Environmental Social Justice with my co-host Joel Vendette and Joy Langford. Thank you guys so much. We will see you next time. Take care. Bye. Bye.